Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Hey, Keith, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about you, Mr. Thomas? I'm doing well. This is the week I have marked on my calendar is the uh, annual week when Florida State wraps up the ACC regular season basketball title. Do you have the, the same indicator on your calendar? It's indicated. Uh, of course, uh, the game will pro- uh, proceed to tonight at nine o'clock, a late tip. Uh, my only question is, do you do you go ahead and, and hang another rafter, a uh, banner rather, up in the rafters and hide it? And just take the chance that mathematically it works out. So if you beat BC tonight, you can reveal it. Or do you not try to jinx anything? And we'll do that later. Yeah, I don't think you can jinx anything at this point. Because they do, in all likelihood, they're going to have to win both of their remaining games. Now, it is possible that you could win tonight or split these last two games and then be hanging out there. And Virginia plays Louisville Saturday. And if they were to lose to Louisville you still could win the regular season crown. At least that's by my math. But you'd rather not leave it to, uh, I just finished my my shower after losing to Notre Dame and we're getting on the plane and now let's watch the Louisville game and root for the Cardinals. You'd rather just win tonight and win Saturday and be done with it. I would agree. Now, I don't have many concerns about the winning tonight part, really about either game. Do you? No, but uh, I did want to bring up one thing that I'll interject. When was the last time, if ever, parentheses, when Florida State would travel to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and lose to the Tar Heels in the Dean Dome, and the national media would call it a disappointment or an upset. Yeah, well, that's how much things have changed. Have they not? That is just phenomenal. The disappointment from the Florida State side and the fans, and I'm sure the team, was that you had a 16-point lead in that game. And you just gave a little bit of life to Carolina before half. And then you gave them a ton of life before the first media break in the second half. And you knew it was going to be game on. I thought that they might still be able to to recover. Uh, And frankly, they did recover, but Carolina didn't miss any free throws and FSU did. So it just wasn't going to go Florida State's way. Things jumped out at me about it. And Coach Hamilton mentioned this prior to tip. He said that they were catching Carolina at a bad time because they had gotten better and better and better. And then they had laid an egg, I believe, either in the preceding game or one of the games preceding that. But of late, they had been playing very well, and they were catching them. They, Florida State, were catching them at a bad time. And secondly, as we've learned, maybe this is a Leonard Hamilton coach team thing, but we've talked about lessons that you can learn by watching others and lessons you have to experience 
Okay, so I'm going to take the half full uh, approach and say this is what it's like when you are up by 16 or whatever it was, and then you you let momentum shift. You can't let that happen, guys. Remember what happened in the North Carolina game, and let that be a lesson learned as you finish out the season, enter the ACC and the NCAA tournament. So I'm going to go that route. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That was that was. There's always that. You know, it's this is a different sport, and it was years ago. I think it was 2002, but the Florida State baseball team won 25 straight games and then went into Super Regionals, promptly lost the first game to Notre Dame and lost the series and didn't go to Omaha. So you have that little, do we need to get a loss in just to refocus one more time is what you're saying. That and a particular situation where you played very, very well for the first 16, 17 minutes, and then you let your foot up off the gas, and this is what happened. Let me ask you this. What what are your biggest concerns about this basketball team right now? That other than Raekwon Gray, you don't have a true leader. And we have not seen him get into foul trouble, much of it any, this year. And so my concern is if Raekwon gets into foul trouble and has to sit, who's going to take over the leadership on the floor? And I don't know who that might be yet. Do you? No, in terms of who would take a shot, I think if you're talking an end game situation. I'm just talking about the flow of the game and keeping guys in the game and, you know, the general floor leadership that he brings to the, to the table. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you'd like to think the answer to that question is MJ Walker. I mean, tonight is senior night and the seniors are going to be honored. And I would assume this will be the last game at the tuck for MJ. I mean, he could technically come back. But, uh, you know, you'd like it to be him. What I was going to say related to end game is, you know, on the one hand, Scotty Barnes, I really feel like if you put him at the top of the key, every possession, he's going to go to the basket or could go to the basket, make a bucket, get fouled or make a good pass. But the get fouled part is the problem with him in endgame because he's not a great free throw shooter right now. So the the better play or a play might be to have Raekwon Gray be the guy who goes there because he's been pretty proficient around the basket very good at passing when the double team comes and he's been a really good free throw shooter. Now he's not your point guard, but that might be the better play. Uh, but, but I, I think for Florida state to advance though, and go as deep as we all want them to, they're going to need to get the production out of MJ Walker that we saw the first six weeks of the season or however long it was over the next month of the season. And the other part that you've got to see for tournament play, in my opinion, is the ability for the centers, particularly Balsha to be effective. I'm not saying he's got to have 14 points and 10 rebounds for you to be victorious uh, in the tournament, but you've got to have production out of that center position. It cannot be uh, a void, and you have to rely on your perimeter shooting or driving to the basket. They've got to help you inside, and I think they will. I mean, I'm very optimistic about what this team can do once they get to the tournament and that, you know, if we lose, we go home thought process becomes a real part of the of there. Just getting warmed up on front row Knowles. Want to set the uh, agenda for you here. We're going to talk with Patrick Burnham from the Osceola in our next segment. Spring football, believe it or not, starts in a week. And Florida State has all kinds of momentum off the field in terms of recruiting. So Pat's going to join us to discuss that. Brooke Wyckoff, who put together a terrific season. Really, Florida State's women's team exceeded the preseason prognostications. 
and wound up finishing fourth. They got a double bye. She's going to join us. The women's tournament takes place this week. So all that's straight ahead. Keith, uh, I obviously had too much time on my hands because I did a little research, which really. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It really mucks up this show when I do this. It's much better when we have no planning or, or no statistics or anything. I do realize. First of all, on the team standpoint, and I've, I've said this all year, to me, it feels like there's two, the, the team turns the ball over too much. So I went and looked at it, and this year's team, now I didn't do it by possession, so that metric may factor. And this year's team is averaging 13.4 turnovers per game. Do you know what last year's team averaged? I would say probably 12, 11 and a half. 13.3. Wow. I missed that one, didn't I? <laughs> so in, in my mind, I thought, man, they're just careless with the ball. Mm-hmm. More interesting, I, I dove into the Scotty Barnes thing. Not that I think Scotty's staying. We know where he projects. And as a side note, like that Miami game last week, watching that, it was like he was in fast motion and the whole Miami defense, and I know they're depleted, was in slow motion because every pass he made was a highlight pass in that game. But related to Trent Forrest, because I've heard a lot of conversation of late about, you know, Trent Forrest is the guy who would answer the end game situation, and that's the biggest thing FSU doesn't have right now. Uh, Scotty is actually shooting a better percentage from the field this year than Trent did last year. Field goal percentage. Now, three-point percentage, he's lower, but only by three points. Trent was at 28, and Scotty's at 25. So neither of those are great. Uh, assist to turnover, Scotty is at 2.28 to one, and Trent was at 1.35 to one. So it's almost an assist more. And then free throw percentage is the biggest disparity, again, going back to that, because Trent last year was an 82% shooter, and Scotty this year is 56 I did go back and look for further reference. When Trent was a freshman, he shot in the mid-60s. So, Well, and that's an absolute product of, of yeah. in the program. And I bet if you fast forward, even if Scotty leaves, which we expect him to, even though I don't want him to. Well, nobody wants him to. <laughs> selfish self. You know, three years from now, look at what Barnes is shooting, you know, in the NBA from the free throw line. Uh, and I guarantee you it'll be much improved. That's just, I mean, one of the things that happens with these kids is that they're not natural shooters. And Barnes is more of an athletic playmaker because of his great physical tools. If they haven't really had to concentrate on their shooting, because he could get to the rim, he could dunk, he could penetrate. You know, those are not shots you have to put up a thousand times a day to get better at. They are just typically not good three-point shooters or free-throw shooters at 18 years of age. That's just the product of the way the – AAU and everything else works. Uh, but you've got to look at, does he have the potential to get better? And the obvious answer is yes, and he will. Yeah, he, he's been fun to watch. Okay, a lot of basketball talk. We'll get back to that. Keith, one thing we didn't mention, we'll go to football here next as soon as we come out of our break, folks. Um, Leonard got a, a new contract this week, five years. So he's going to coach till he's 112 now or whatever he is, but he's still going to look like he's 44. Uh, he looks younger than both both you and I. There's no question. No question. You no me. question. And, you know, in, in today's world, Tommy, in today's world, and I've shared with our listeners, the only other time I've really experienced this is when I did that two, uh, little two-year deal through Fox and Raycom, and Jimmy Rayburn, the president of Raycom, said, KJ, we don't use contracts. I'll email you what the parameters are, and you email me back and let me know that's okay. Well, we kind of knew it. It just wasn't talked about, but Leonard's been working without a contract for 10 months, however long it's been. It goes way back to 2020. 
And in a pandemic of all things, he continued to do everything correctly. FSU continued to do everything correctly. It's the first time I've ever heard of a five-year contract being signed that was retroactive a year. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense. And secondly, I, I applaud both parties because he's the 59th, he ranks 59th of the 130 Division One, you know, power conference uh, participants in, in terms of his base salary. And it's a lot of money. I, I get that. There'll be our listeners and detractors that will say that he's not worth that. No coach is worth that uh, in basketball, but he is. But what he's banking on at his age and with this team is the upside because his bonus pool is such that you can't fault paying him what he can ultimately make because it's based on performance. It's not based on past performance. It's based on current performance. And I just find that refreshing. Nobody else may care. I get that. But in my world, in my way of thinking, hats off to Leonard and hats off to to uh, Dave because it's just the right way to put it together when you can. I actually think maybe we'll do this in our last segment, Keith. I think we could have a deeper discussion about the psychology of having an incentive-laden contract. So on the one hand, he didn't get all his money up front. He's not guaranteed these dollars, so he's got to go earn them. But on the other hand, it does ratchet the pressure level down a little bit. Now that might, at FSU, maybe the pressure's is what it is. It's never going to be the same for basketball as for football. But, you know, if you're Chris Mack at Louisville and you're making north of $4 million, well, there's a little more pressure to produce than if you're making $2 million and then you get some incentives. Um, by the way, what, what, what incentives would you have in your contract? When, you know, when Jimmy Rayburn sent that to you, did you say you wanted to get an extra, uh, an extra 50 bucks if you were on time for the production meeting? Or what, what did you negotiate? That and in, uh, in, in one of the strange twists, I didn't, would not have want this. But the first game I did for them, I was late getting to the Tallahassee airport and I missed the airplane. So probably he would want some incentives in there that I have to arrive an hour before takeoff or something. But uh, please don't share that with everybody. Um, of course, our listeners can, but you have to keep that quiet. Keith, you have to work hard to miss a flight at the Tallahassee airport. I'm just I mean, saying, you can get from the car to the gate in like six I'm, minutes. I'm standing right at gate 6A or whatever it is, and I'm looking out the window, and the plane has – the uh, taxiway has – they pulled it back, but the plane isn't going anywhere. And I'm sitting there with the gate agent and he and I was looking at me and I'm looking at him and we're looking at the plane and it ain't got nowhere. All they got to do is put that thing back out there. Let me run down the gangplank and I can get on it. And he wouldn't do it. And I could, all I could do was just laugh. I, I watched the plane sit there for about three minutes and then it rolled out by and I got on the next one. Well, I don't want to, uh, subject our listeners to it but i kind of want to hear how that phone call went with you and jimmy right after that <laughs> you, you broke up on the first part of that but um I, i'm not i don't i don't have an answer there's not a good answer for what for me doing that <laughs> all right let's step aside go to break we'll come back and talk football on front row knolls
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. Time to crank open the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we say hello to Pat Burnham from the Osceola. Hey, Pat, how are you doing, sir? Great, guys. How are y'all? We're doing good. You know, we, we mixed it up this week. Instead of Bob, we said maybe we should talk a little recruiting, which when the calendar reached <laughs> February when that decision's made, and now we're early March, that must mean that good things are happening on the trail. And obviously, if folks listening to this show know that's the case. To what do you attribute the the success that Florida State seems to be having right now, the momentum on that trail? Well, you know, coming off a rough season and uh, going through what has been a year-long dead period, I think what Mike Norvell and his staff proved with the 2021 class is that they are elite recruiters. Uh, They did so – they overcame a dead period and a bad season to have a top 25 class. And uh, I thought a very solid class, particularly on the defensive line um, and receivers. And I think we all were impressed with that. And then they have kept that momentum going with the 2022 class and are up to six commitments right now. Just got the Sam McCall commitment, who uh, is a great looking athlete uh, in Lakeland and Lake Gibson High School. And a guy that can play a multitude of positions positions um he's played a lot of receiver in high school he's a lockdown corner and has the build to play either outside receiver slot receiver or really anywhere in the secondary has great change of direction and then of course you mentioned before we got on the air you got travis hunter one of the top guys in the entire nation as an athlete slash db and uh they're going to find out they're in the final four for a a four-star quarterback aj curry who may, uh, from IMG, who may commit before the end of the month. So they've got some momentum going. And um, as we talked about before we got going, they seem to be a little bit more discerning with their offers for 2022 and 2023 maybe uh, than they were 2021. But uh, certainly like who, who they're going after for sure. Pat, do you get a feel or have you had any conversations with, with your contacts you know, the age-old thing was sometimes coaches wanted players to announce a commitment publicly, and other times they wanted to be quiet, and sometimes they wanted the commitment to be known early, and sometimes they wanted to wait till late. Is Has there been a shift over the last year or two about how kids are responding and what coaches are asking of them in that regard? Yeah, I, you know, I really don't have an answer, a legit answer for that question. Um, most of these kids are very excited, no matter what level they are, to get an offer from Florida State. And uh, so most of them are going to announce it. But I have a feeling that, uh, you know, they're probably in on more 2022 kids. Uh, you know, they're probably a little bit more deeper into 2022 than just the six commitments. I'm saying they probably got some guys that are uh, close to committing. But uh, certainly I think it's just the, uh, the way today's uh, – kids do business is they're going to announce their offers and you see it every day on Twitter. And the way you do business is nothing is binding until they sign. That's right. Which is the week before Christmas now at the early signing period. So. Well, technically the offer is not good to August 1st, is it? Well, I think they send out that official offer letter. Yes. Uh, uh, But you know, typically when a kid tweets back at a coach, 
from a, a school that's offered them, you know, it's a legit offer. And most offers are contingent on grades and off the field behavior and all of those type of things. And some of them could even be, Hey, we're going to, we're going to offer you, but it's contingent on you coming to camp. At least it used to be before uh, COVID, uh, you know, Hey, come to camp. We'll solidify the offer once we see you in person, uh, which they've had not a chance to do with any of these kids, but uh, Yeah. Here's the question, though, related to today's generation. Is it contingent on or uh, upon how many wins is it contingent? You know, uh, <laughs> I, I've committed, but that's contingent on you showing progress and winning six games, winning seven games, winning. I'm being facetious, but that's where the concern is with especially. Well, with- you're. Yeah, you're right. It's a two way street. I mean, you know, they've got to uh, solidify that this program is. uh going in the right direction and obviously putting uh, some wins in the win column or some W's in the win column would certainly uh, benefit all, you know, rec- you know, we used to say at South Florida, uh, you know, winning uh, hides a lot of other things. Uh, if you can win enough ball games, kids will be interested in coming to play for you. We say in the insurance business, Pat, that production solves all problems. That's right. When I was in sales, my boss used to tell me, you can do anything you want as long as you make revenue. <laughs> I'm not going to ask any questions, but as soon as you start meeting, uh, not meeting that revenue budget, we're going to talk. So. Yes, it's also been uh, phrased winning is a great deodorant uh, as well as another way to put that. So let's let's talk on the field here. Uh, amazingly, we're coming up on the year anniversary of the pandemic. Uh, next week, in fact, and and we think back and and Mike Norvell got all of three spring practices. So if he makes it a week into spring practice this year and, I, and they get started in the next week or so, uh, that's going to be more productivity this spring than they had last spring. I mean, he's got to be excited. All the coaches do the players too, just to actually get this time that they didn't have last year. Yeah, and you know, um, obviously, spring is very important, especially being a young staff or being a new staff. That's what I mean by young. You know, they really didn't get to establish a culture in spring last year. Uh, now you've got a huge influx of transfers and some first-year freshmen that are here for spring. Obviously, it gives the uh, uh, a full spring will give the staff an opportunity to find out who plays best where and best how to utilize the talent they have in 2021. Pat, obviously we will be paying attention to the quarterback segment because that gets the most attention. But what's the segment that you're most interested in seeing some things on the field and seeing how they work? Well, you know, I'm really interested on the other side of the ball to see how the back seven develops. You know, one of the weaknesses Florida State has had uh, regardless of the talent, is they've had a hard time defending the pass. Uh, so you want to see who consists of the secondary, what they do on defense to try to uh, maybe simplify these things and let these kids take advantage of their ability as football players and as athletes. So, you, you know, there's a lot of room, a work for improvement on all facets, and there's questions at every position group, but certainly uh, the secondary is um, a component of this football team that really needs to improve if they're going to get to where they want to go. I'm interested in seeing how the transfers integrate, not so much physically in what they do, but especially the older ones, can, can they assume leadership roles right away? I mean, because when you look at what they brought in, part of it's we need to, you know, we need productivity, but we also need people to lead by example at these positions. Yeah, I, I think you've got some of that across the board. You've got McKenzie Milton at quarterback, uh, obviously one of the 
most successful quarterbacks in recent college football history. Uh, then you've got, you know, the name that we forget about is Jordan Wilson, the tight end from UCLA, who missed all of last year because of a knee injury in fall camp. He's coming back. You know, what does he do for that position group and for the offense as a whole? But certainly there'll be some leadership there from Jordan. And then on the other side of the ball, you've got Jermaine Johnson and Kerr Thomas coming in um, uh, on the defensive front. Thomas has played a tremendous amount of football at South Carolina and should be able to provide you some leadership and stability up front. Uh, you know, you got Deontay Williams coming back again. Uh, then in the secondary, you've got Jamie Robinson and Brandon Moore transferring in. Brandon's a shutdown corner. Uh, does that, you know, does he come in and start right away? Uh, Robinson has played a tremendous amount of football at uh, South Carolina as well. So you're getting some uh, proven and tested guys and it should not only help you with production, but also should help you with leadership on what is still an extremely young football team. You've got the early enrollees. And I know there are a couple of three of those freshmen that quietly the coaching staff is really, really hoping you know, takes that next step or two and gets ready for fall camp by going through spring. Oh, yeah, you look at Malik McLean and Josh Burrell, the two receivers that came in and started uh, classes this spring. You know, obviously with uh, the wide receiver needed an influx of talent, uh, those two guys will certainly help their chances of playing next year, being here for the spring. And then, uh, you know, you've got um, – pays uh the Dustin hit Dustin Hill kid from New Orleans who will be here in the uh fall and you know our summer he was recruited as high highly as anybody in this in the class so yeah um getting some of these kids in early will certainly help in that regard uh particularly Malik McLean and Josh Burrell at wide receiver Pat, I don't know that you'd have a great answer on this yet because there's so much unknown, but this is really I'm I'm jumping back to recruiting now and but it, but it affects everybody on the team Come July 1, there, there's going to be name, image, likeness in play. And we still don't know what that might look like. But these recruits are ones, candidly, and this is what folks have been afraid of uh, inside college athletics, could be swayed by, hey, you know, I know you're committed to FSU, but if you come here, you know, we'll get you, we'll get you some dollars to, to do an endorsement with the car dealer or whatever it is. Do you have any idea of how that's factoring in yet? Or is it still too much of a gray area because we just don't know any parameters on it? Well, it's, it is a gray area, but I think that you're right in your line of thinking because I was uh, talking to a buddy of mine the other night. You know, what happens when, um, well, let's, let's take Nico, uh, Marquio, the quarterback they got a commitment from. You know, he's you know, he still has not signed a scholarship. What happens when uh, the guy down the street at the Arizona Ford dealership says, hey, if you go to Arizona State, uh, we'll name it Nico Marquio Ford. Uh, for the three years you're in school and, you know, we'll give you a percentage of uh, our sales over the course of, I, you know, I, and I don't know how all that's going to be legislated. It certainly brings up a lot of questions, but certainly that's going to be a dynamic that's going to factor in uh, to recruiting once that NIL comes into play. Keith, both hairs are sticking up on your head. <laughs> you know, it's an age old thing. Our listeners are well familiar. I, I, I hear that in recruiting, but the other thing that I say about the NIL is when I'm sitting in my locker after a two and a half hour practice in August, and I'm going back out and getting in my eight year old automobile, and the <laughs> freshman beside me, because he has a name, is driving a new Corvette. I just worry about how that goes over in the locker room. That's my concern. 
and hopefully I'm just an old guy that is out of tune. Well, and then you put on top of that, what happens when uh, you get the one one time transfer rule approved? <laughs> uh, so, you know, there's going to be a lot of unforeseen uh, consequences come from these rules changes when and if they happen. And uh, certainly it's going to change the dynamic of how recruiting is done. Yeah, folks have heard us talk about this, though, not in great detail because we just don't know the details. Nobody knows how it's going to unfold. This is truly a case of they're building the plane while they're flying it. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting once we get past July 1 to see where this lands. Um, bouncing back to, to spring football then, Pat, one of the, the great uh, conundrums from a fan or media standpoint is when you watch the spring game, if the offense looks good, that means the defense looked bad <laughs> or vice versa. So while we talk about the spring game, to me, the benefit here is really the, the 14 practices leading up to that where the coaches can tinker and they have a much better feel for what a guy can and can't do. And you don't have to waste time in August trying to figure that out, which is what they had to do last year. Yes. So, well, yeah, I think it gives them a huge, uh, full spring, gives them a uh, not necessarily an advantage, but certainly advantage over what they had last year when they're not getting to know how to push the buttons of these kids when it matters most on the practice field and how to coach them up and what they can handle and what they can't. Uh, and certainly would give them outs of who's going to play where and how they're going to utilize that, 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 that personnel on both offense and defense and special teams. And don't neglect, neglect the fact that, you know, spring is very early. You know, when I was playing, way back in the dark ages, you didn't play the spring game till the last weekend in, in May. And these kids are getting through five, six weeks earlier. So that's additional time over the summer for summer workouts, both collectively as well as individually, where last year all these kids were scattered and having to do everything on their own to get ready for fall camp. So not only did you miss spring last year, you missed the bulk of your summer workouts and conditioning and this year you'll get those back. It'll be an opportunity to see what this staff can do on the age-old thing of player development, which we've been harping on for the last couple of three or five years. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you can pay attention to some of their workout stuff. They post some stuff to Instagram and Twitter, and uh, they've released some footage. And, you know, you look at a guy like Derek McClendon, who I've seen a picture of in workouts, and, you know, the guy's transforming his body. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot more of that going on. Uh, this time, uh, this year right now, because they are able to be with uh, Coach Storms and the rest of his staff. So certainly that's another advantage to uh, being back together and uh, being able to work around and through COVID. Obviously all the other teams are doing the same thing, but when you're with a new staff and last year and a first year head, it just takes on greater importance in my opinion. Uh, I 100% agree. Do you have any concerns at all about Milton's knee and mobility? I mean, is that, I know that's going to be the first video clip we see whenever practice is open is how is he moving? You know, that's going to be the number one topic this spring. Yeah. Well, you know, everything they said sounds like he's ready to play. Uh, you know, he said, it. he said his doctors have cleared him. You know, you've seen some video footage of him throwing with the guys and, you know, he went, he led the scout team last year at UCF. Uh, was not allowed to be touched, obviously, but, you know, he was in there 11 on 11 drills running the scout team offense. Uh, so from, you know, they, you know, you would expect that they brought him in to be the starting quarterback as long as he's healthy. And of course, you know, when they get into the nitty gritty of playing football, that's when we'll find out. Right. I mean, 
drills are one thing, but playing the game's another. And, you know, you know, I think then I think his health is a question. Then the next question is if Mackenzie Milton is healthy and he is by far, if he's healthy, he's probably your best quarterback. I don't think there's any, any uh, secret, secret there. What do you do with your most dynamic playmaker from last year's offense? Was this Jordan Travis? Do you have a package that allows him to play quarterback and maybe line up at running back and uh, slot receiver? Do you, you know, cause even if Milton's a quarterback, you got to think you want to get the ball in Jordan's hands 10 to 15 times a game. Uh, is he willing to play other positions? Is he set at quarterback? So, you know, there's a lot of questions uh, that spin off of whether McKenzie's a starter or not. It's good to talk football, Pat. It's been a while. I'm excited. Yeah. It's, it's all, I mean, in spring, you got, you can talk about a lot of things because, you know, there's probably going to be some position changes and, you know, who has, uh, who has a light come on for, you know, look at the offensive line, you know, they had a lot of improvement in the run game last year. Uh, some of that was due to the influx of talent they had at running back. Some of it was Jordan Travis's ability to be a dual threat quarterback and what the stress he put on defenses. Uh, but, you know, can they, you know, against Pitt and Miami, they still struggle against elite pass rushers. They struggled uh, in pass protection. You know, how can they shore that up? Is there another transfer uh, portal offensive lineman coming in later in the year? So a uh, lot of questions, a lot to talk about and, uh, you know, speculate about for sure. Well, the good news is we didn't start the conversation with the offensive line, and we've done that the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had, we started our conversation with the offensive line on a positive note too, which has been a couple of years since we could do that going into a spring. So, really looking forward to seeing you know who plays where on the offensive line. Uh, you know, then of course I've already mentioned it one time, what does Jordan Wilson do for tight ends? Uh, you know, of course, uh, so there's there are questions everywhere, and uh, you know th these transfer guys should really help. Uh, add some playmakers to this uh, offense and to the defense. And uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how this team uh, comes together uh, before Labor Day weekend. There's questions, but I know where people can go to find answers, right? The Osceola. Yeah, come to the Osceola. <laughs> there you go. For Pat's insight, yep. Bob, Jerry, the rest of the gang. Appreciate it. It's always good to catch up, Pat. All right, guys. Y'all have a great day. He is Pat Burnham, our Osceola insider. We'll take a break and come back with more Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. Really pleased to be joined by Coach Brooke Wyckoff now as uh, we keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open. Brooke, you joined us earlier this year. That was before the season even started. And so as a starting point, and even at that point, you were fully aware you didn't know what you didn't know. Now now you're through a season. Is, is it what you expected? How many curveballs were there in your first year doing this? Well, it feels like yesterday we talked and a million years ago all at the same time I can't believe that was before the season it flew by but it yes a lot has happened uh, there we knew at that moment too that it was going to be a lot of uh unexpected 
ups and downs uh, and we just didn't know which ones they would be. So yeah, I mean, having 15 schedule changes was one of the, the unexpected. I knew we'd have a few, didn't know it would be that many. Um, but really the biggest one was just how we finished. And I'm just so pleased that that unexpected um, outcome of just finishing fourth in the ACC. I mean, we had high hopes. I knew this team was talented and has, and has a lot of potential, just didn't know what anything was going to look like. We had, you know, people in new roles and mm -hmm. what was the league going to look like. And to be able to have finished fourth in, the, in this conference this year is, is a really just an amazing feeling. And I'm so proud of our players. Look, if you, even if you remove the pandemic, this was a very challenging year. As you mentioned, people in new positions, injuries, consistency, Coach Sue being gone. Even without the pandemic, this was a, this was a struggle. You've got to be proud of these ladies. Absolutely. Yeah. Just all of those things you just mentioned uh, can throw any team for a loop and, and really just the shortened season, not being able to have the time to figure out who we really are. Or, I mean, we had the time, it was just in the gauntlet of the ACC, you know, we didn't have that non-conference time to work through some kinks and to develop and grow and figure out uh, who we are individually and as a team and that all happened during ACC play uh, with an interim head coach, like you said. So again, just all of those things taken taken in, and, and you look at that, it's it's really impressive what this group has accomplished this season. Well, another thing you didn't have is a full complement of players that you expected to have, though. And so even in a non-COVID year, that would have been challenging. And I want to be respectful to the players you did have, but I mean, you replaced three key players from a year ago. And then you had to have people move over to play point. I mean, I, at least my opinion, you didn't have who you expected to have at the point until late in the season. So how difficult was that? How much better shape are you in now uh, as you go into the postseason? Yeah, absolutely. I, we knew going into the season that we would be searching or searching for people to fill the, the big shoes of Nicole Kamu, Kaya Gillespie, and Naja Wolfolk. Uh, but added on to that, like you said, Tom, just having Bianca Jackson be our primary point guard, that was unexpected. Um, we had a couple players that we, we thought might fill that role and, and due to different circumstances, they didn't. So Bianca having to, A, figure out uh, her role on a new team. She hadn't played for us yet. She's a red shirt um, transfer. And then to play the, mostly at the point guard spot where she's played very, very little throughout her career was just totally unexpected and she took that role head on uh did really really well with it and um you know and now like you said we have tiana england back who's a natural point guard so that provides a little bit of respite for bianca um to to kind of take that physical and mental toll off of her for so many minutes during the game um and you know and and savannah wilkinson who we rely on in the post a lot was injured for a, a longer period of time than we expected she's back that's been really really nice so yeah you just kind of you gotta just roll with it and see where things fall and and this we were fortunate like i said this year that they all kind of fell into place better than we thought I, I know you and your staff were high on the individual I'm going to talk about, but uh, I think the ACC now realizes her talent. And depending on how things go in the NCAA, the nation may understand more about uh, Miss Morgan Jones. Yes, she's a phenomenal talent, phenomenal person. 
uh, and just really exciting to watch. And anytime she does get to display those talents, it's, it's fun for all of us. Um, anybody that's able to watch. And so we're just, again, so proud of the recognition she's gotten, but more importantly, just the reason why she's gotten the recognition is because of the work she's put in. I mean, she, as a freshman and sophomore, tasted that, you know, what it's like to be on the floor. She was on the floor a lot, um, play, has played a lot of minutes, started a lot of games for us, but she didn't have that opportunity to have the ball in her hands um, to really show what she was capable of. And she really worked hard to be ready for that moment this year. She knew she would have that opportunity. Um, we needed somebody, like I said, to fill the role of those three main scores last year. And so she was going to have the opportunity. And how is she going to handle that opportunity? And, and as we know now, she did great with it. And, but it's because of the work she put in on her own um, before and after practice and the offseason all of that and her commitment to, to the defensive end and rebounding that really has set her apart from a lot of other players across the country. She was named uh, to the ACC's all defensive team. And I guess first team all ACC this week. So congratulations to Morgan Jones, Brooke. I was calling the game against Clemson, which I don't remember if it was double overtime or single over. It might've been double OT as I think about double, it. And yeah. She scored 36 in that game, which at the time, and maybe it wound up being the top individual performance in the league this year, but it was not far away from the all-time FSU record. I mean, I was watching it, and don't tell, but I've been around long enough that I remember some of those other performances. Might have <laughs> called those, too. And, uh, I think Brooke had one of those, didn't she? It was no. an all-timer that night. <laughs> yeah, Tom, we've all been around a long time. It's okay. It's a good thing. Um <laughs> Yeah, but she, more, that was so exciting. And again, she just took the team on her back and refused to lose and, and really had a great standout performance that against a, a tough team, a tough defensive team, Clemson just provides so many problems on the defensive end, uh, just with their style of play. And, and so Morgan, yeah, it was, it was fun to watch and to get the win. I was really, really happy for our team. And I know that's what she cared about most was that we won that game. As you go into the tournament, if you could have one thing that you know that you need to work on, the team needs to be better at, and you could have it, what's going to be that focus? What's going to be that communication for your team as you as you go uh, into the tournament? Yeah, I think it's that growth on the road in an environment where it's not necessarily what you're used to, A, you know, there might not be the same energy you'd like in a game. There might, you know, it, it, things don't go your way and you're not at home. That was our thing this year at home. We were really, really good. Um, you know, and we had fans in the stands and we were comfortable and on the road, it was, it was a little different for us because again, we might've played, we played a lot of places. There wasn't that energy in the, in, in, in the place. There wasn't, um, you know, when things didn't go our way, it was harder to respond. So, Again, the ACC tournament, Greensboro Coliseum, it's not an easy place to play. <laughs> it's a fun, it can be a really fun atmosphere and it's big time basketball and a lot at stake, but um, you've got to be a strong, just mentally, emotionally strong to fight through the adversity that's going to inevitably come um, in that type of setting. So I, I think we've learned a lot um, about who we are in those types of settings. And so, uh, you know, it, obviously it starts with defense and rebounding. And we got to go from there. But I, I'm curious to see and excited to see how we've grown in terms of handling a tournament type on the road uh, situation. 
and you'll play 2.30 on Friday with that double bye, the tournament getting underway today, I guess, but against uh, Syracuse, Pitt, or BC. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as you look to the NCAA tournament, Brooke, on the men's side, there's been a lot of conversation about the bubble and everybody being in Indianapolis, but the women are doing the same thing in San Antonio, right? Is that how that's playing out? Absolutely. Yep. Lockdown. So, <laughs> yeah. It's a it's sort of a, a good problem, bad problem situation. You'd like to hear that your players are bored because they've been in the same hotel for three weeks, right? I mean, that's what you're literally doing is moving to San Antonio for as long as they'll have you and as long as you keep winning. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the goal is to be there and to to have to complain about something like that, you know, quote unquote, like, oh, I'm bored because we're here so long. But you're right. Being there as long as we can be is the goal. Um, and so, you know, it's all worth it. We, again, we talked so much this year about just being grateful for any opportunity. So does it look like the normal NCAA tournament? No, we can't, you know, like, but it, we're having one, you know, we're playing basketball. We have the opportunity to, to be in this tournament. So doesn't matter what the, what the circumstances or what it looks like. Uh, we're, we're excited to, to have the chance to be there. Well, you'll enjoy San Antonio to whatever degree you can get out. And I would remind you and remind the ladies that if they're walking by the river, somehow they get pushed in. You do not have to swim. All you have to do is stand up. Oh. I know that, but that's another story for another day. Okay. Well, it sounds like you have some personal experience <laughs> in that. <laughs> but I'll remind them. Keith, I'm not going to touch that, uh, even though I know that story as well. Brooke, let me ask you this because folks want to know. I know you're still talking to Coach Sue regularly, and I'm sure it's been a balance for her of uh, I want to help, but I also want to want to let you coach. But but how is she doing? How is her mom doing? What can you share with uh, with our listeners? She's doing wonderfully, and her mom is in great health, and and it's just been such a great opportunity for them to be together. And obviously, through the hard times of of battling the cancer and and during this pandemic. Um, but they, Coach Sue is, has been amazing, just in great spirits, really positive, um, and, and like you said, very supportive of me and this program throughout everything she's been going through. Um, but yeah, everybody's in, in, in a great place right now, and, and we're just all excited for March and to see what can happen and what this group of players can do. Share with us, uh, it, it occurs to me as I ask about Coach Sue's mom, the organi organization that you're heavily involved with that uh, I, I've heard a lot about, but I've never had a direct conversation with you uh, about, I guess it's moms and coaching or, yeah. or, or fill me in. Yeah. Yeah, it's an organization that um, my co-founder and I uh, started about seven years ago, uh, really just a group of moms, mostly uh, coaches in, in college basketball, but we do have some people that coach in the NBA and in high school, um, but just moms that kind of want to come together to, to offer support and advice and, and just some camaraderie as we navigate being a mother in the business of coaching, obviously any working parent has, it, it's a challenge for, for all of us, but being a college coach, especially provides some unique challenges. Um, so we meet at, at least once a year at the final four um, when there is one in person and, <laughs> and um, just try to stay in touch and encouraging uh, each other throughout the year. Um, and also just really to get the word out to younger women who are considering coaching and also may want to have a family um, and are wondering, is this doable? Because at times it seems like it might not be. Just to, to let them know, just to have that visibility that um, 
there are a lot of us doing it and it is, it is, it is uh, doable and you can do both really, really well. Well, as we let you go, and I know you've still got the postseason to coach, but to whoever it is that's a first-year head coach next year, if you're writing the one-sentence piece of advice to him or her, what are you sharing? Listen to your gut. I mean, that's that's really what I would say is just, yeah, stay in the moment. And in that moment, what is your gut? You know, your gut uh, is going to tell you some things, um, and it, usually it's the right thing to do, and it may not be popular. It may seem weird, but I would, I would say that's the best thing you can do. Probably not bad advice for all of us. To be honest. True, right? Human nature. Yes. Exactly. Well, especially, and we won't go down this rabbit hole now, but in the age of metrics, you can look at data upon data upon data and second guess the decision you just thought was the right one. So, I mean, I know that can be agonizing. <laughs> exactly. Too much information sometimes. <laughs> yeah. We'll let you get running safe travels and uh, best of congratulations on the success thus far, but best of luck in, in uh, the ACCs and also the NCAAs this year, Brooke. Very much so, very much so. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Keith. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Coach Brooke Wyckoff, the women at the ACC tournament, they open play on Friday. We'll step aside and come back with more Front Row Knowles momentarily. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, appreciate Brooke Wyckoff joining us, Patrick Burnham. Coach Wyckoff, uh, in a good mood, might be different uh, demeanor if we caught her I don't know, between the first and second period or maybe the third and fourth quarter of, of, of a game in Greensboro this weekend. But she's joined us a couple of times. And, you know, it's good to see when you watch somebody grow up, and this does make me feel old, but I watched her as a freshman play. We both, and now, did. We both did, yeah. Yeah, and now to see her as an assistant and to see her spread her wings and learn to be a head coach uh, as in an interim role, it, it's been fun to see. And I'm sure there's been peaks and valleys for her, but congrats to her on the team success this year. Well, and, and one of the other things that I'll mention, uh, you and I didn't talk about this because we don't do any pre-show prep. So um, I'll just share with our listeners that we reached out to Coach Sue and asked her, you know, if she'd want to come on the show and talk about what she's seen from afar. And basically, Coach Sue said, no, I don't, I don't want to, you know, infringe that. This is Brooks' team. This is Brooks' season. Uh, I thought that was very refreshing, Tom. I know you had the conversation or text messages or whatever, but I found that very, very, uh, very, very uh, enlightening and very representative of how much trust Coach Sue has in Brooke. And I actually thought that might be the answer I would get. And I, I t- and I didn't correspond with her directly. I went through Florida State Sports Info on that. But I thought that might be the answer, that she was truly away. And uh, and you have to respect that. Um, you know, we've gone this whole show and not talked about baseball, Keith. And so well, there's a little bit of a reason there is a little bit of a reason. Yeah. We've brought it up at the appropriate point in the show based on the productivity on the field thus far. Right. Peace. And, and hats off to, to, to the pit um, hats off to their program. But um, you know, that, that was a, a disappointment, 
but by the same token, I don't mean that as in it's, you know, it's a totally negative and the, the season's over and, and, you know, Florida State has no shot. It's just the nature of the way the game of baseball is sometimes. It's, this is a great oversimplification, but I went to the Friday and Saturday night game. The Friday night game in particular was time, it was one nothing. It was timely hitting. Pitt mm-hmm. got one, Florida State didn't. But then that theme carried over all weekend and Florida State struck out way too much. And I never went back and looked. Uh, they, they struck out what 40 something times over the weekend. I mean, it's it was 19 in one game, I believe. Yeah. 40, 47 times in three game series. Uh, you know, and you only played 27 innings, but I swear every inning ended with a strikeout. I mean, as I was sitting there watching it, it felt like every, especially if there was somebody on base, every inning ended with a strikeout. So, uh, I'm not near the panic button though. Uh, they do need to get some guys, especially the veteran guys to, to hit the baseball and, and, and then the others will relax a little bit because it's not getting easier. I mean, they don't have as many games as normal. And basically what got cut out of the schedule is some midweek games. This week they got rained out on a midweek. They're only playing 50 instead of 56. Uh, I will tell people right now, and I hope Mike Jr. proves me wrong, but the 40-game winning streak is going to come to an end. Nothing to do with them being two and four, but missing those other six games. I mean, you got to be really good, even if you were at zero and zero right now, to get to 40. Um so, but but more of the focus just needs to be on. I, they can pitch. They need to pick up the ball a little bit better. But but mostly they need their veteran hitters to to put the ball in play. You know, one of the things that 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 I I did not watch the games. I saw some of the condensed stuff and some of the highlights. So I, I need to couch that. But you know, one of the things that coming into the season, a full season that hopefully you would get, would you know, meet talks about being a little more aggressive at the plate. And I was just going to ask you of those strikeouts. You know, how many of them are were looking third strikes? Because if you're looking third strikes, that's a whole different problem than if you're striking out on third strikes swinging. Yeah, well, and, and it's not like 11 would have a take sign when somebody has two strikes, they got to protect the zone. So some of them were guys fooled and they were caught looking. But uh, more, I felt like I just saw some guys who they just weren't seeing the ball well. I mean, they were taking their cuts, but they weren't they weren't seeing it well. But it's a small sample size. Congrats to Mike Bell, who's the pit coach and used to be here, obviously. And we don't need to continue to look back on that. But hopefully, there's better news after this weekend. Now it's not getting any easier. Now it's they got a challenging Virginia. weekend, isn't it? Yeah, they got Virginia coming in. Exactly. So we'll we'll dive deeper into baseball as the season goes on. March is kind of reserved for basketball, and that's where we started, and that's where we're finished today's show. Uh, it is senior night tonight. We mentioned this a little bit, but. Uh, MJ Walker and Raquan Evans are being honored. They've not announced whether they're going to come back for another year. Nathaniel Jack and Taylor Engom, if that's how you pronounce his name, are not being honored because they've already announced they're coming back next year. But then beyond them, you've got the four Green Vipers who are finishing their career, which is Travis Light, Justin Lindner, Will Miles, and Harrison Prieto. And, and they've been like rock stars in their own right uh, over the last few years. What a ride for those guys. And uh, one or two of them are graduating with a master's. I mean, they, they had already obtained their, their undergrad. Is that correct? I mean, yeah. Again, if you talk about Coach Hamilton and this new contract, if you talk about the percentage of kids that he graduates, the percentage of kids that don't graduate but come back and get their degrees, and then on top of that, I talk about those that are picking up their master's, uh, you know, academics, uh, coach Coach Leonard Hamilton buys into the student athlete, student first, athlete second, and he's got some pretty good athletes too. He's done a tremendous job. We discussed his his contract extension earlier in the show. I'll just finish up on this note, Keith. This is my unofficial math, but it goes to Florida State winning the ACC. Obviously, if they win tonight and win Saturday at Notre Dame, they're going to win the regular season crown. 
But when you look at a couple other teams, and it's not going to be equitable because everybody's played a different amount of games. But so Virginia Tech, uh, they're they're canceled for tonight. They're sitting at nine and four. They're, they're out because of them, by the way, which means yeah. their Saturday game is very doubtful. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I wouldn't expect them to play Saturday either. But even if they did and they won, they'd finish ten and four. And if FSU goes one and one, they'll finish eleven and four. So the Knowles would be ahead of Virginia Tech. Uh, Louisville's eight and four right now. They're canceled tonight because they were supposed to play Virginia Tech. So even if they win Saturday, they'd finish nine and four. And again, if FSU goes one and one, they'd be, uh, in, in, you know, a better record there. So the one, the one, the one school that could get them is Virginia still, uh, because if Florida State was to go zero and two and Virginia wins on Saturday, then Virginia would have a better overall record despite the head-to-head matchup. The Cavs would get the regular season crown in that scenario. So let's just win two and not worry about it. Exactly. You know, again, as we talked about last week, your, your fate's in your own hands. You don't have to rely on anybody. Win two games and you got another bat- banner hanging and you got a double bye and you're the number one seed going into uh, Greensboro. Do you care what they do in Greensboro? You know, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I would tell you emphatically, and, I, and to a degree, I still think Leonard believes that, you know, the ACC tournament that we all grew up knowing and someone like Leonard Hamilton that remembers when you only got one seed, you know, you had to win the ACC tournament to get into the NCAA in the uh, reduced field. Um, there's a part of me, I was, I was listening this morning. I don't follow the NBA much at all, but there, you know, there's a big story. The Lakers lost last night and they're traveling to Sacramento to play tonight before they break for the NBA all-star break. And LeBron James did not travel with the team to Sacramento. He played last night in a loss. He's staying in Los Angeles and then wherever they're doing the the all-star. But that's the first game that he's missed the entire first half of the season. So it's a game of rest. You know, I've, I've, I've backslidden a little bit. I don't really worry about what they're doing in the in the ACC. We used to have to because you had to play your way into the uh, tournament because Florida State didn't have the great ACC regular season record. So maybe a little diminished, but I, I remember being in Atlanta and doing the game with Gene when they won the ACC tournament for the first time, and that was a, that was a very, very satisfying feeling. Well, and it would be cool, and there's some teams Florida State missed this year, like a Virginia Tech and like a Duke. It'd be cool if they matched up with them uh, in Greensboro. I, I still have worries about, and, and I just hope it's not Florida State, about the team that has an outbreak and, and has to be replaced in the NCAA tournament because of it. Uh, you know, again, knock on something that it's not FSU, right? My son-in-law does the radio for Tampa uh, Jesuit. Their basketball team had an outbreak in the middle of the district. They had to play their JV team. And their JV team won two games. And then the varsity team came back and they won three games. And now Jesuit is poised to enter into the semifinals of the state playoff. And that's just another example, at least at the high school level, where the pandemic has you know, made things more difficult. Uh, in their case, the JV team was able to win two games that they should never have won, but they did. And now the varsity is able to compete for the state championship. The biggest disappointment in that story you just shared, Keith, is that you didn't have enough sense to talk your son-in-law into another profession. Well, he is a professional. He's a firefighter in a, in a, in a, in a pyramid. So uh, he does very okay. well in that regard. 
but he's also a huge basketball fan, and he too is a graduate of Jesuit. So he uh, he stays uh, plugged into the program. All right, good to know. Keith, we're out of time. We'll do this again next week. Till then, folks, this is Front Row Knowles. Control.